Well, hello there, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is after a long, long hiatus of my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for yet another fascinating conversation, living at the nexus of art, entertainment, culture, and society. We are back with some super hot fire today. But first, however you're consuming this podcast, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever you prefer, to uh, scratch your CDP itch, make sure to leave a like, a comment, or a review if you're watching on YouTube. Well, I would deeply appreciate you if you subscribed. And as always, you can help this podcast and community grow by sharing this show as much as possible. If you love it, share it with your friends. And if you hate it, why then share it with your enemies. Uh, also, you can find me on Rumble. I put the shows that are too hot for YouTube uh, up there. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll see what more we can do with that channel, what, what kind of trouble we can get into. So be sure to sign up there, support me on Locals while you're at it. Uh, the links will be in the show notes. Lastly, I'm a one-man operation. I prefer uh, not to be a starving artist. So whether you sign up at Locals or become a paid subscriber to my newsletter, The State of the Arts, or donate via PayPal, Venmo, or Cash App, I love you forever. And um, it will keep bringing me it will keep me uh, bringing you that super hot fire. Now, all that said, friends, it's always nice uh, to find a kindred spirit, especially in today's tipsy-topsy uh, tipsy, world. Um, for those who may not know my journey, I was an up-and-coming actor in the city formerly known as New York, and things were popping off till I decided not to take a certain, a, uh, certain a, uh, vaccine, a choice which pretty much ruined everything and changed my life forever. Well, my guest today is uh, an artist based in the city formerly known as New York as well. Her performance work runs the gamut from theater, films, uh, TV, web series, commercials, voiceovers, music, uh, and even stand-up comedy. Bless her heart and soul. She also opposed the uh, industry-wide vaccine mandates which uh, were imposed in show business, and now she's fighting back by running for the position of New York president of SAG-AFTRA, the Screen Actors Guild slash Union. So uh, let me tell you, she has some eye-opening things to say about the union, which I did, which which I was not aware of. Um, uh, and uh, I think, given the strikes right now and the sort of upheaval going on in the in the entertainment industry, um, you'll have you'll definitely want to hear what she has to say. So, uh, beautiful people, without further ado, I give you Miss Namakula Moo. Did I say your uh, your your name correctly? Well, actually. I go by Namakula, and Moo is actually the shortened version of my last name. My last name is Musopi. Ah, uh, Musopi. Where <laughs> is so, that from? Uh, Uganda, which is where my father is from. Ah, Uganda. Yes. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's so nice to meet you. So, uh, you know, we, we were we were talking offline. Uh, we actually, because someone, it's weird, because someone, I think, my friend uh, uh, Prima, who I, I did a, I'm saying it on record now, uh, a wonderful woman named Prima Cruz, uh, who was a Yale-trained actress who was doing well for herself, Black woman, I just want to put that out there, um, who was also derailed by this. So I, I have a podcast with her that's really old that I owe her, I, I need to publish it, but she texted me um, a Your Jimmy Dore interview. Oh, funny is um, that. Yeah, yeah. And then I think um, right after that, there was someone else that said, hey, um, you need to know uh, about this uh, this woman. I think it might have um, been it might have been Eileen. Eileen, it may have been. I just I don't I, I remember that there were, there were a few things at once where mm -hmm. you know you you were brought to my attention, and um, so then we we chatted for a bit and uh, we you know we we we've been living parallel lives. It's very interesting. So I guess we'll start um, at the beginning. What is uh, what is your background? 
Miss Musobi? Oh, my background, I guess uh, I would say I'm, I'm, my parents are both immigrants. So like I said, my father's from Uganda, my mother's from Jamaica, and I grew up, we moved around quite a bit, but mainly grew up in the suburbs. I was born in Wisconsin and lived there for a year. My dad was getting his PhD. And after that first year, they said, it's too cold. We need to get out of here. So we moved to Virginia <laughs> and he had his first teaching job there at um, Hampton Sydney College, which was an all male college at the time. I don't know if it still is. And he was the first African professor ever in the 250 years history of that college and lived there for, I think, five or six years and then moved to New Jersey and lived in different parts of Jersey before I moved to New York City. Um, uh, so, yeah, I was, uh, you know, again, my parents were, you know, traditional values, you know, focus on education, respect for yourself and elders. There was never a pressure to following the footsteps. Um, there's a lot of, you know, influence in my family where a lot of people are kind of white collar professionals, uh, accountants, doctors and all that stuff. Um, but the, the we, I was never pressured to be one of those people. They they allowed us to, all my sisters and I, I'm a middle child, um, I'm older sister and younger sister grew up together. And um, they allowed us to develop into ourselves rather than a mold that, that was created for us to fit into. So that was always great. So I was always a kid that was exploring and trying different things, always creative, wasn't really um, into left brain kind of stuff. Uh, and, um, but both my sisters are lawyers and I'm the middle one. So I'm the cre creative one, but they're all creative in their own ways. So I was always trying different things and I was always encouraged to try different things and took piano for a bit. I played guitar because I wanted to be like a, a rock star shredder and, you know, Nice. Riffs and um, <laughs> it's related to different types of music and uh, writing and just creating and just always exploring that stuff. So I think that having that background and being exposed to, yeah, I think moving around a bit also molds you in a way like you kind of are mm -hmm. when you're the new kid a few times you adapt and you get you, you are able to connect with other people in a way that maybe when you're stationary, you're very comfortable and you're you don't have to have that challenge to maybe uh, get along with other people and um i i, I cosmically uh, most of my friends were from different backgrounds as well so i grew up around people from different cultures and different backgrounds um so that was very normal to me and even even different age groups i had friends that were older younger and i always feel like you can learn mm -hmm. something from an eight-year-old and an 80 year old so i didn't have like that kind of thing where i only hung out with my peer group which also made me a little different so when i did eventually um decide, well, I think it seems, seems like I should be an actor, you know, that seemed like one of the a profession that made sense for what I was doing. Um, I went to uh, Ben to Tisch at NYU. So um, went there and I remember my first week there, I felt a little strange because everybody was 18 years old and I was so used to being around different, you know, a more diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, so that kind of bugged me. And then also I felt like even though I wasn't uh, studying to be an actor, I didn't feel like that heading really uh, fit for me, just because like I said, I was always exploring different things. And I felt like acting was a certain linear way of being. And a lot of the actors, people that I knew around me, I felt like they were so full of themselves that I felt like, oh, am I too like <laughs> soft or too empathetic to be an actor? I don't know. Actors uh, being full of themselves. What? <laughs> <laughs> never, never. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> so. But yeah, so I, I felt like even when I was there, I kind of, I always, I connected with some of the older students that were ahead of me. So there were a lot of foreign students that I befriended, um, some who've gone on to be like very big in Hollywood. And I think that um, 
it was very easy for me once I was studying, I was in school, I was looking for opportunities to learn other things. You know, I worked in hotels, I worked in restaurants and stuff, but I always wanted to be in an environment where I'm learning. So I was looking for an internship in a production company and I ended up finding one at an editorial house um, for commercials. And I didn't even think about that as a profession. I, I mean, I loved editing and writing and I was doing all that stuff in school, but I didn't, um, I never thought about it as a profession like people actually do this for a living so I got this internship and I was learning about the behind the scenes of like it's a whole industry and there's like create this very creative and you know you've got to get a tell a story in 15 seconds 30 seconds and you've got 10 hours of footage and so once I had interned there after I was done with school then they had a, an apprenticeship so I could have done two things I could have pounded the pavement I could have gotten a restaurant job been an actor and done that or I could do this other thing where I'm in an environment where I'm learning and I'm behind the scenes and I'm getting this whole other education. So I've opted to do that. And um, people thought I was crazy. Like, you want to be an actor? Why are you doing this? And it was the best thing I could have done. I spent 15 years in that industry. I learned everything. I worked with some of the top creatives, editors, um, ad agencies, producers, writers. Um, I learned about casting. I was, you know, insistent learned from the ground up, learning to deal with clients, uh, working on huge accounts with big um name people. I learned about um, casting. I, you know, I'm loading all the dailies and I'm looking at the performances and I'm working with the editor in the room. I'm in the room where they're making the decisions. I'm booking the sessions. I'm going to the record sessions. I'm, I'm doing all these things. So I'm, I'm getting this well-rounded um, education in this, uh, in production and performance in, you know, all these things that if I was an actor, I would not be exposed to this. I would be kind of just, again, that linear thing. So I worked my, I worked and I, and I was able to work at these places at a high level. So I worked at some of the top places in New York city, all based in, in pretty much in Soho, which in, ironically, um, which was funny because I worked at French connection, which is also in Soho. So years later when I'm working yeah. in this industry, if I could tell my past self that your future self would be doing this, you'd be thinking, well, how am I going to go from this to this? Which is what I love about life. You never know how things are going to connect, right? So I worked my way up there and um, I had worked with this British editor who was in town and then he went back to England and he kind of said, well, do you want to come work for me? And I visited him over there and I was still wasn't ready to make a move. And But like a year later, he said, well, I want to open a place in New York. Will you help me? So I left my current job and went, um, helped start his company. So it was myself and an executive producer from J. Walter Thompson um, named Stephanie Apt. And she and I went to the space and we were hiring a staff and training people. And we opened up the New York office of Final Cut, which is one of the top editing houses to this day in Europe and I think in the States. And um, from there, it was, again, the same thing. I worked my way up. I um, became an editor. I worked with some of the multi-million dollar accounts. I worked in England and Spain and did all these great things, worked on the country. And while I was doing that, I was also still wanting to perform and write. So I was writing scripts and things like, like subway ride down, I'd write stuff and then transcribe it to type it up. And um, I was also, I did two years of stand-up comedy when I could, because I knew that as an assistant and then as an editor, you didn't, your time was not your own. You, you, you didn't know if you get out of work at like seven or 7 p.m. or 7 a.m., depending on what's going on. Uh, sometimes I'd be at work until three in the morning with clients behind me with technical problems and doing all this stuff and having making deadlines. So you really couldn't schedule to pop up for an audition or to do a play or, you know, you couldn't do that. So stand-up was the best way that I could at least keep my holding my crap as far as writing and performing. And once you do stand-up, you have no fear about anything. So that kind of, yeah, that's, that's it, tough. it primed me for being in those situations where it's totally foreign to me and you don't know what's going to happen. You just wing it. So did that. And then at one point I was doing a job. I, I, I During this time, I also was going back and forth to Spain um, 
my boyfriend at the time, uh, we had an apartment there and I would be, I would go back and forth. So I'd spend time. So I had this whole other life there because when I was a kid, I wanted to be the Spanish actress, watched a lot of Almodovar movies. And I was, uh, went over there, got an agent and they were sending me out on castings and had a whole other life there. I had friends there, but it was like, again, it was a back and forth thing. Like when I had my downtime from editing, I would pop over there and do stuff. So I had a lot of things going on, a lot of the different lives, lives that I was doing, mm. which is not sustainable, not really. Um, so, and then at one point um, I did get my, com- I was doing a job in LA editing and I did get my comedy reel to Brillsting, uh, to Mad TV at the time. And the producers loved it and they called me in to come in and pitch for them. So I did my first pitch meeting where I pitched, they said, come in with five ideas. I came in with 25 different ideas, pitched a bunch of stuff. And, um, but this was the time when people weren't doing virtual anything. So I would have to move over there. And during that time I was, Brillsting Gray was sending out my stuff. So I was doing I'd written a bunch of spec scripts and they were sending stuff for me to, to sweeten scripts and do script doctoring on. But again, if you want to have a meeting with somebody in LA for lunch, you can't fly over for it. So that kind of dwindled because I wasn't willing to move because I really don't, I really like LA. Um, <laughs> I like there to visit if I'm on a job, but I don't want to live there full time. Um, I just yeah. felt like New York was such a mix of people and you can get from A to B in like 20 minutes, 15 minutes, whereas everybody's got a car and you got to drive everywhere. And a lot of my ideas came from experiencing different people and cultures and all these things. And I felt LA is such an industry town. If I'm in my car all the time and in a writer's room, I felt like my creativity would dry up and I would, my soul would die. So um, kind of let that go to the wayside. And then um, had applied for my citizen uh, a visa in Spain, didn't get approved, which was fine because then their economy started to collapse and then all the Spanish people were coming here. So in the meantime, I um, felt like, you know what, I've, I've been in this industry 15 years, editorial post, I felt like I really wanted to make a go of acting. Um, so uh, left left my, you know, great job and um, started from scratch. I went door to door with my headshot, uh, took some more, got back into taking more acting classes, commercial acting classes, um, screen, um, uh, not screen, um, scene study, um, script writing, like just, just to get back up to speed to get my sea legs back up and um i got signed with one of the top commercial agents so started sending me out and i would go for this auditions and i knew the agency people and i knew what they were thinking like it was great because that 15 years doing all that stuff and being behind the scenes i could go in with a different perspective and present the work and leave it in the room and not obsess about am i going to get a call about what's going to happen and during this time I may, I start to make befriend more actors because of course I, when you're out in the room you meet people you do a job you meet so I was getting to know more and more actors and I could see how they were burdened with a lot of this anxiety based on that they didn't understand the process like I did so I always tried to impart what I learned from my experience to them and said look you can't get obsessed about this person or why they didn't call you or you know you look too much like that person or this thing doesn't match or that's why it's nothing to do with your performance nothing to do with you as a human being you kind of can't take, can't take things personally. I remember I worked on a job years ago when I was an assistant editor and it was a big campaign for Fruit of the Loom and they had the spokeswoman um, for the whole year and then they were going to do another round of spots. So they bring her in again and then the client says, oh, are you going to use uh, Sally again? And the agency says, well, yeah, you know, why not? And, and the, agent, uh, the client says, you know what? I don't really like Sally. And this is the first time they heard this. And he goes, a matter of fact, I hate Sally. So they literally had to recast they had already, everybody was in place. They had to, to hire their alternative, the alternate. Um, and this woman lost this big campaign. So that was such an unusual situation because typically, you know, the agency, will, the client will communicate with the agency about 
if I don't like this person, so the fact that they kept silent. And so you never know as an actor what's going to happen to you. You could be on set and get replaced. I worked on another job where the woman they cast was being snotty to the director. He replaced her that morning when they were on set. So mm-hmm. she probably thought that she was above, you know, she was indispensable and they called in her alternate. So you just don't know. And even if you shoot something, you don't know if it's going to air. Uh, you can't really relax until it's on the air and you got to check. I mean, it's you have to have a certain temperament to be able to live that life and i think a lot of people especially now we're having a strike have an attitude that actors are all narcissists and how dare dare they want compensation or or more money and what people don't realize is that there's a top what 10 percent that are making millions or even less probably they're making millions and there's the working actor and those people are not there we're literally perennial freelancers and we're constantly on a job interview because an audition is a job interview right If you're a fan of the Clifton Duncan podcast, you'll love my new newsletter called The State of the Arts. Sign up for free for weekly articles as well as the latest information on my upcoming projects, shows, events, and appearances. And for just $5 a month, you can hear me bring my articles to life in my velvety baritone voice. Join the growing heterodox arts movement and subscribe to The State of the Arts today at cliftonduncan.substack.com. So That's what I try to, uh, you know, impart to people is that most actors, you know, there's there's the top, you know, two percent, and and yeah. they sort of are the people you see everywhere, and then there's the people who they make a good living, but they're they're busting their butt to do that, mm-hmm. and people act like you know if you're not a household name, then you're not a success, which is you know which is moronic and ridiculous. But people right. say, well, why do actors get paid so much? It was one because they're <laughs> they're not working most of the time, you know what I mean? So it's nice when you get to. You know, when you're when you're sitting there on, on a constant uh, job hunt and job interview to, to really, uh, you know, to actually get something. But also, I think people don't get as well as far as movie stars go. It's like, you know, if you are someone who manufactures like furniture or something or you or you wrote a book or something and and millions of people are buying your work. You know, if you're an actor, they're buying your likeness, they're buying your voice, they're buying the, your acting choices, they're buying your you know, your, your behavior, your, 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 um, you know, what your persona, whatever it is that they're there for, um, you know, if people around the world are watching that, well, wouldn't you want to be compensated, you know, for that? And then if they're watching it over and over and over again, which gets into, um, a bit of what the strike is about, but, but we can get to that later. I do want to talk about, um, cause you mentioned really early on about, um, you mentioned you were raised with traditional values, which I think is really funny because, you know, the, I would hear, I used to date a Nigerian woman and I, I, I began to realize that a lot of these stereotypes you'd hear about like Asian parents, you'd also hear about African parents, which is really funny to me. And, yeah. uh, and you know, so there's a reason why I think they're, they tend to be so successful here. But, um, but I also, you know, you said so much and there's, uh, there's so much about you that, that screams, uh, you know, curiosity and openness and, and, and a thirst for learning and, and developing skills and knowledge and these kinds of things. So my question for you is like, you know, have you always been sort of an, an, an ideological outlier in, 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 you know, among other actors or within the entertainment industry? I mean, was it like a culture shock going to, going to Tish at all? Or, you know, were, have you always been kind of a weirdo? Was there, or was there a transformation over time? Uh, I think it was always a weirdo. Uh, <laughs> um, it w- I, it, like I said, it was a bit of a culture shock in the sense that I, I never, not never, but I was in a situation where I was around everybody who were my peers who were basically at the same age, seemed to have a similar like middle class or middle class background. There was no real, for me anyway, there wasn't that diversity that I was used to. Um, 
growing up and you know even you go back you were going back to the nigerian woman and the asian that i grew up with a i had a lot of asian friends growing up one of my best friends was growing up was one of them was uh she was korean her mom didn't speak english so when i'd hang out with them after a while i started to understand hangul because i hung around with them so much so i feel like this thing about us being so different people are more alike than they people want to believe right Mm -hmm. and i think that it really breaks down to values and standards and you know social economic things come into play as well so when you have this through line where i don't we don't look alike but we have the same you know we have the same experience like your experience with your grandmother or my my experience with my jamaican grandmother similar or the way they act similar like that transcends all these other packaging that we were born in so i've always been somebody that recognized that from an early age and it was always jarring to me when people start to identify based on that package that they're born in because i know plenty of people that are born in different packages but have the same kind of mentality which doesn't have anything to do with my mentality because my my upbringing is different so it's it's kind of this mixed bag of of i know i've always felt like i can connect with anybody um because also i i just I, I have a way of seeing different perspectives and i think that it's because i had friends from different ages and different backgrounds i was able to see different things and how i was raised you know you respect your your elders there are all these basic things that do unto others then you have uh, those kind of um ideologies make you a well-rounded and compassionate and empathetic person and if you don't have those things and it's all about well my way is the only way then you how of course how are you going to see anybody else's point of view are you going to understand like even when somebody does something that i think is terrible i still try to think okay what why do they think this is normal and, and what's going on here because typically you can find out there's something wounded in them or there's something going on or maybe they're getting pressure from somewhere else so that's why when i would for example be i used to be a concierge at at, at paramount hotel which was you know ian schrager who was the godfather of the boutique hotels and we had a lot of different guests in there big finance people, celebrity people. And you have, when you have angry celebrities like Sean Penn screaming at the front desk and then you have somebody, <laughs> you know, you have to figure out, okay, what's this, what's going on with this person here? And how can I defuse the situation? So this, there's a very Tai Chi thing that goes on when you have people um, of different, you just have to be open uh, to realize everybody's a human being and they're coming from some place different. And you have to understand how to relate to them as a human being rather than judging them for their actions. Now, if someone is pure evil, that's a whole other thing, but I'm just talking generally mm-hmm. speaking, you know, somebody has different ideology or different choices or, you know, says something that you feel is completely offensive, but maybe they're not trying to be offensive. I try to figure out before I jump now, to you. See, now, everything you were saying, um, I, I can see why, if you weren't an outlier before, you certainly are now because you're, you're speaking sense. Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I got to these kinds of conclusions uh, a, a long time ago. It's just, you know, and, and this is, I think, one of the reasons we connected because I, you know, I was a military brat. So, you know, I'm, I'm was born in Germany, but then, you know, we lived in Virginia, but then we, you know, moved to Belgium. So I had friends who were Turkish and Greek and, you know, from all over the place. And then, you know, you've lived over there. So it, it really gives you a more a broad perspective. But, uh, but you know, you, you mentioned you mentioned evil. Uh, you mentioned people doing terrible things. Um, speaking of which, uh, what, what was your journey uh, during when when the uh, switching gears a bit when the when the pandemic um, era began? What was because at, at the beginning for me, you know, I'm I'm in uh, the city formerly known as New York, as we affectionately call it now, and um, 
from January, I mean, you know, and I say this a lot, it's, it's a very New York way to begin a sentence, but, uh, you know, I was talking to my therapist about this um, in January of 2020. I said, you know, there, there's a virus coming and it's going to wipe out everybody. You know, I'm, 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 I got my, my hand sanitizer, my, my mask and gloves on, and she's got her bleach, her bottle of bleach over in the corner. And, uh, you know, so I was totally on board. And then uh, as, as time wore on, I, I began to say, uh, I don't know, this seems a little bit weird to me. And then I, you know, fled and got to Atlanta. And that's really when things really opened up for me. But what about what, what was your journey throughout all of this, especially as somebody who um, has such a broad base of experience and, uh, and, and sort of, and, and, and whose and whose mind is open in, 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 in that particular way? Yeah, I mean, I think similar to you, um, I, I think to, to a lot of people, when this thing first came out, there's a lot of propaganda that was scaring people. So there was that video that that was circulating with the man walking in China who all of a sudden just drops in the middle of the street. Like, yeah. oh my God, this virus in it. You know, so a lot of people didn't know what was going on. Um, jobs are being canceled. I had just book, booked um, a part on a, a show in New York and then they shut down the production. I had also planned a trip to go visit my sister because I do an annual trip to Tampa because she lives down there. That I, I couldn't do that. So things were starting to lock down. And, and even the idea of locking down makes you think like, oh, this is very serious. Right. So, but to be honest with you, I never totally, totally felt really like afraid. Not really. I mean, I think that's just also my personality because I always felt like things always just seem to work out. And you know, I, I I never get I don't get knock on wood I don't get sick never had the flu um, outside of you know uh, as a kid chicken pox and what you know vaccines and stuff I wasn't into you know flu shots or anything so I really just would always be able to get through you know I was just as a healthy person so even when this was going on and I talked to people who had been diagnosed who had it and, and got through it and like oh it's pretty scary and you know they told me it sounded pretty bad but I didn't really feel like I was going to get sick. But yeah, I was buying into, okay, I guess you got to hand sanitize, you got to wash your hands and take your shoes off. I'm like, this is getting ridiculous, but you know, whatever. Um, but after a while, uh, you know, things started to not make sense. Like it kept adding to the number, to what the symptoms were. So it starts out at, as three symptoms and balloons into 20. So now a sneeze is a symptom, now a stomachache, now a sore throat, now an earache. So I, I said, like, well, is everything now COVID? Before 2020, this would just be a sinus headache. Now I gotta wonder, is it COVID? So it was it was definitely, I felt like that was, I found it irritating and also it was starting to be unbelievable. And then, you know, the masking, okay, you have to wear a mask. But then even that, that started to not make sense because you know, you're walking around, they're locking down, they're locking down mom and pop businesses, but then the liquor store is open, but then the grocery store is open. I thought, well, there's more people volume of people walking to the into a grocery store than really into a restaurant. But the restaurants are closing or closing early because the virus doesn't come doesn't come out um, until after 10 p.m., which made no mm -hmm. sense there. So there was a lot of stuff that was going on. And then um, what was happening, I think backtrack before this happened, I was um, I've been getting more and more introspective and taking more time for myself. Being in New York City, there's so many things going on. And I was always the, the one that was going here, going there, supporting people, doing events and stuff. And I really just started to pull back from how much energy I was putting out there. And especially I'd had I'd had a, a, a second hernia surgery. And I remember I was I was for a week just in my house, like totally just resting and stuff. And when I finally did go out, just walking down the street was, you know, 
heavy. And then taking the subway ride down for my first well, voiceover. What way? Sorry. Uh, I thought it was all better. And um, just walking like 30 seconds up the street, I was feeling wind. I was feeling drained. Um, right. And then when I, yeah, and then when I jumped on the subway, I was going to my first voiceover audition since I was recovering. And I wasn't, it wasn't like I was biking down there. I was riding the subway, riding the subway. By the time I got off, I felt so weak. And I realized when you're on there, you're taking all the energy of all these people. And I, I started to realize how draining that, that has been over the years. Like just, you know, just maintaining yourself and all this vortex of all this thing happening. So I'd already been kind of retreating into myself a bit. So when the lockdowns happened, um, it wasn't that, I mean, I live alone. It wasn't that different um, as far as, you know, not going out that much or not really seeing people. But what started happening was um, when they did the whole, okay, you're not, they start when the, when the, um, the mandates were going through, uh, I the gym that I belonged to was mandating wearing these masks. I'm like, okay, fine. After a while, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. We're working out in the gym. I'm sweating. But clearly, this is not doing anything. And then one woman was reporting me because I my I wasn't wearing my mask. But this is ridiculous. So I finally um, talked to them, and they said, well, you can wear a clear visor, which made no sense. I'm thinking, okay, I'll wear a visor. So myself and another woman were the only ones in the gym wearing these plastic visors, and everybody was masked. So she and I started talking. And then she also was awake to this is BS. Um, so we started to go door to door <laughs> to the small businesses with literally printouts um, from, I think it was from Peggy Hall, you know, who does the, uh, the Peggy Hall, the healthy American. Anyway, there's a printouts about how mandates aren't laws and these are your rights. And, and so we were giving them to small business owners and they were so grateful because they were so scared. They didn't know what was going on. They were being threatened with fines and all these other things. So we gave them these things about, you know, you don't have to shut down your business. Da, da, da. Um, but what started happening was that people were being intimidated. You had these people showing up and threatening to give them $10,000 fines. So when they were rolling out, um, when they were talking about rolling out these vaccines, uh, when they're talking about rolling around these uh, experimental products that they were calling vaccines, which were actually gene therapies, um, they were, you know, deplatforming people that used to be credible doctors and scientists who are now told, oh, no, they're crazy conspiracy theorists. Don't listen to them. Listen to these three people. Listen to this one person. And that was also very suspicious. You know, why uh, is there no peer review? Why is there no public um, discourse about having opposing opinions and different... Why are we you telling people you can't exercise and stay in the house and you know your liquor stores are open but gyms are closing? I mean, it made no sense. So you know, getting out, getting exercise, vitamin D three, zinc, um, eating healthy. They weren't encouraging that. They're encouraging people. You know, they decriminalize marijuana. So smoke weed, stay at home, watch Netflix. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. So sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, it, it, I, I know for myself, and this is why I became very. Um, over time, I said, you know, it's, it's as though everything that they are telling us to do in order to uh, mitigate the spread of uh, uh, this pathogen uh, is like completely antithetical to any sort of joy or just living in anything. And, and you know, and that's one of the reasons that I call it the city formerly known as New York is that, you know, because you mentioned that these business owners were terrified of being snitched on, basically being narked on. And uh, it just goes back into this culture of, uh, you know, if you weren't there on the ground in, in New York, it's really hard to kind of imagine just how ubiquitous and pervasive um, the messaging was. And just, but for me, it was that something fundamentally in the psychology of the city changed, you know, like, like, I mean, the idea of where 
I mean, you know, Manhattanites especially, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time and put a lot of energy. I mean, you mentioned going into yourself. Um, it, it's, a, it's a place where it's easy to feel lonely, even though you're surrounded by all these people, just because you spend so much time blocking everything else out. You know, you don't want to engage that much because there's just so much stimulation, stimulation going on, uh, you know, uh, around you. And, you know, people trying to, you know, uh, ask you for money and trying to uh, and, and hand you flyers. And, you know, it's what time is it showtime? There's all kinds of just, <laughs> I, I hate those motherfuckers. What time is it? Showtime. <laughs> showtime. Showtime. Like, time for me to get off this fucking car so you don't kick me in the knees like you always do. God, I hate these. I hate them so much. But anyway, um, them them and the mariachi bands, I can't stand. But, uh, but you know, but you're always, you're used to being around people. And um, there there's a weird kind of, you know, I was going to say comfort, but maybe even a resignation. Like, I'm just around people all the time. And, you, you know, it's, you're you're kind of used to it. But then when people began actively avoiding each other, um, as opposed to just ignoring them, yeah, you know, and then when people began to, um, I mean, I, I am of the belief I got kicked out of J hood, Wright park on West 177th, um, because it was me and another guy that were, cause they, they closed the gyms, like you said, like mm-hmm. you pointed out for like six months. And, um, but they were, you know, the parks that they weren't closing down, there were these apparatuses at this particular park where you could, you know, do pull-ups and dips and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, that's where the gym bros were going. Cause the gyms were shut down. So we were all out there trying to keep our gains, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and, uh, and it was, you know, it was kind of wholesome. You got all these guys over there trying, trying to stay jacked and, mm-hmm. um, you know, being polite and everything. Some people are wearing masks. Most, you know, some aren't, whatever. Nobody really made a big deal about it, but, but it's me and this other guy, me and we, me and one guy. And I'm wearing a mask. He's not. We're staying away from each other, whatever. Then this cop comes over and he's like, hey, you guys can't work out here. It's part of the park's closing down. Other parts of the park, people are playing field hockey. They're chilling on blankets. They're they're like, they're chilling. But for some reason, we can't work out. And, you know, I I looked back at at this cop and uh, he was like waving to somebody in the the adjacent, one of the adjacent apartment buildings. I said, did someone just come out and just narc on us and just say like these guys are working out and they shouldn't be here? And I said, you know, you hear about businesses being snitched on and and, uh, people you know, uh, the, the masking and everything. And I just said, you know, something, something, something's really changed uh, in the psychology of the city. And uh, I, I don't know how, you know, and then it wasn't made any, any better by the fact that, you know, you're, there's arrows in the sidewalks everywhere. There's advertisements on, you know, the sides of buses and cabs and digital advertisements on the subway about, you know, wearing masks and getting, it was just so, I mean, you couldn't escape it and you couldn't escape it. And then it just, um, it, it just, it, then you leave and you you realize that wait a minute <laughs> i can go i can go get a lap dance here in atlanta at magic city but yeah. i can't go to the bar in new york it's just, it's really it's really nuts i went i went on that rant for some reason but it was just about the, the psychology that 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 changed and how um i guess i wanted to ask you about what the what the vibe is in new york now um and and did did did, did new yorkers shock you at all with how they behaved um going to answer that but one point I was going to make when you talked about how you guys were working out and there was another area where people were hanging out on the, you know, just picnicking or whatever. It's interesting because it seems like there's the agenda is to shut down the alpha males, right? So you guys are trying to stay in shape. Hmm. You're muscular. So that's a problem. But then the people hanging out on the blankets is not a problem. So that's, that's even, that's something to dig into as well. Why weren't those people shut down but you guys were? It's, it's very interesting. Well, you know, and it, well, it was it was heartbreaking because I was going up to um, to uh, what is it, Fort Tryon Park? That's where right? I live. Oh, that's where you are. That's yeah, the yeah. park that I would go to. Yeah, and that was not shut down. 
Well, 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 they, but they locked the, um, the, uh, the playground, a little playground area, you know, like right when it's like right at the, at the A train, um, uh, in Woodstop, there's that little, you know, you, you get out and there's a little gated area where there's a, a playground, some monkey bars. Oh, um, yeah, 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 that, yes. But you could go into the park itself where there the was, park no, itself, there was right. no, yeah, there was no, yeah. I, I, I run, so I was running in the park and continuing oh, that way, yeah. Got it, got it. Well, well, they shut that down and I was just like, you know, and the thing is, it was the same thing in J. Hood Wright Park as well. So you, one of the cool things about what was going on is that there were these really human moments, people kind of making the best of it. So you see these moms kind of, you know, playing with their daughters. My, my favorite sites were, you know, you had these big hulking dads and they're, they're like three-year-old little girl and they're like jogging around and, you know, trying to stay active and, you know, and, and they're bonding. There was one guy who was there with his son. This is, this is in J. Hood Wright Park. Um, and his son was, uh, was overweight and they're sitting there, they're running, they're running wind sprints and doing drills and everything. And I'm like, you know, people are really, they're using this time really, really well, and they're really kind of bonding, but then they kept shutting this stuff down, even as our numbers were going down. And, um, you know, then all the other stories coming out about, you know, the, uh, the federal hospital ship, which is barely used, and these other multi-million dollar facilities, oh, yeah. which were converted, mm -hmm. um, which were also barely used. Um, and so there was all this mixed messaging going on, and the whole Andrew Cuomo um, scandal. And yet, it seemed like you couldn't there, there was no way to appeal to anybody that say like, you know, maybe something, something isn't really right about any of this. It was just so. Well, I mean, the problem is that, and this is what I discovered, and as you discovered as well, I thought New York was a place of free thinkers and critical thinkers and artists. <laughs> and when this was unfolding and I was finding out other information, I started, a crypto friend of mine had sent me a link to one person um, who was on the same page, like a independent uh, finance guy slash researcher who's been talking about economic stuff that's going on right now for years and he mm. started delving the talk about the whole COVID thing and he was saying a lot of things that I agree with and uncovering a lot of things I didn't know and then through that it's, it was a it opened the floodgates for me finding other independent journalists and researchers who were had their, either their own platforms because they were deep platform for mainstream stuff and they were saying credible things they had people on there that were you know, like I said, accredited, uh, accredited um, doctors, uh, epidemiologists um, around the world, scientists who were who were saying a completely opposite thing, and yet these people were being shut down mm -hmm. by the mainstream. And the more I read, the more videos that I watched. You know, you had you know had uh, Michael Yeadon, who used to be the VP at Pfizer, came out and was saying everything they're telling you is completely wrong. You know, you had Garrett Vandenbosch, who was a lifetime researcher, vaccine person, worked worked for the Gates Foundation. He's saying stuff about you know, this is after they were rolling, wanted to rolling out these um, these uh, medical products untested, um, and all of a sudden he's like kicked off LinkedIn, and it, it was you know it was kind of crazy. So I would share this information with people, friends and family, and I can count on one finger who actually was maybe taking it in and, and considering it. Most people were bought into the fear of the propaganda, and didn't want to look at anything else that might it's almost like people were comforted by being afraid because everybody else is afraid like it was this group thing like we're all in together we're all afraid together rather than me yeah. hey maybe it isn't as bad as they're saying maybe i should do look at this person or this person's credible or they have no reason to lie or they have you know decades of experience why would they all of a sudden now not be a so nobody was doing that i think there was a comfort in a, a large group of people 
mass formation of psychosis as Peter, Dr. Peter McCullough was talking about. But um, I just think about when I was a kid and how when, you know, kids would get the mumps or chicken pox. I remember how I secretly, I want to get the chicken pox because it seemed like everybody was getting it. And when I did get it, I was kind of like, oh, I was happy I, I got to miss school, but I also felt like I was part of something. So uh, looking back on that and then what happened, I'm thinking maybe part of it is that they feel a connection in the fear monk. Like they're all afraid. So they want to stay as part of this large group of being afraid rather than stepping away and seeing that this fear is being is is being imposed upon you or you're being tricked into feeling like these things are, this is, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's so much information that was out where they said it had a 99% recovery rate. And I kept going back to that. I said, if they're saying that, then the level of fear that they're putting out doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, you know? there's, you know, there, there's a few things that were going on there. I mean, you know, but, uh, I've not read his book yet, but but Matthias Desmet he was talking about the whole. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why when McCullough went on um, and Robert Malone went on Joe Rogan's show, where the, you know the idea of the mass formation uh, really caught on because I think for the first time a lot of people, you know, even if um, even if it was inaccurate or whatever, or the theory didn't quite work. I mean, finally, people had sort of some sort of a some sort of a name and a framework on which to put what they were seeing unfold in front of them. Because, you know, I had I had this a similar experience where it's just like, well, you know, I mean, sure, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mike Yaden has come out and he said uh, some he's made some rather extraordinary claims, but I think his questions about the the design and the function of of these particular products and you know the the way that they're designed i think his questions are valid the same thing i would say about the person who pioneered the technology being used in in these um and these particular uh novel products um you know might he not have something valid to say you know I've, i mean you know you have ivy league uh, scientists epidemiologists nobel laureates who are saying you know, and, and the idea, you know, I, I joked early on, I said, you know, have we forgotten the idea of a second opinion? You know, you can be an expert on something and and have a completely different view on these uh, on on what, you know, the best course of action is. So the idea that they kept suppressing everything. But I think what you're talking about and because, you know, I that's why 2020 was so insane. Uh, one of it, I mean, part of it was was it became partisan and political, which was ridiculous. And um, and there's this idea that there's one party that's the quote unquote party of science and there, and and of course the other party is run by this orange dictator uh, who you know is ignorant and and wants everyone to die and they're genocidal and racist and all that other stuff and so it, it, there was already the team element there which is ironic considering that the the, the party of science initially was the people that were telling me oh it's just the flu don't worry about it yes. um you know at the same time that they were they were criticizing the former president for downplaying the virus and saying you know dumb shit like you know it'll disappear yada 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 um so there was a weird kind of thing going on but it, it really became about in my opinion um we're fighting this, this there's this invisible enemy out there um it's super super dangerous we have all these like these videos of of Chinese people taking like stage falls uh, <laughs> onto the concrete, uh, you know, uh, get their hands out there, um, you know, um, but there's this constant droning, you know, ubiquitous fear mongering. Um, nobody wants to die. And, um, you know, there's this idea that we all have to sacrifice in order to 
uh, fight this war together to save as many lives as possible. And therefore, anyone who goes against the messaging, you know, that's online, that these dumb celebrities are pushing, that these stupid pundits are pushing, that the New York Times is pushing, that these uh, ridiculous uh, bureaucrats, uh, you know, like Anthony Fauci are pushing. And if anyone who says, you know, agree, disagrees with that, then they're, they're, they're a, a knuckle dragging redneck, um, you know, MAGA hat wearing anti-science, uh, fascistic granny killer. And, and, you know, living in New York, uh, you know, the people down there, they live in a bubble. They think everywhere should be like New York. They don't really have much contact with the outside world, even across the Hudson River, where, you know, the, the voting patterns uh, vastly begin to differ. And so there's, I think there's a lot wrapped up into the reaction, especially among New Yorkers. And then, of course, New Yorkers, New York and L.A., they, they control the entertainment industry They you know, they, they, they run things there. And that, that whole mentality of, you know, we're not only fighting the virus, we're fighting um, these, these stupid Republicans and, you know, we're saving lives and yet I'm like, dude, but then at the, at the same time, they'll say, well, look at how many people have died. I'm like, okay, well you keep, <laughs> you, well, you, you also, the, the numbers there were, there were people who were going there with a broken arm and then they were testing them with a test that isn't a test. Um, saying you're positive for COVID, they were counting them as a COVID patient. Oh, on top they, of that, on top, on top of that, there was a story that came out, I think it was April of 2020, where, uh, you know, it was this great, big, splashy headline in the New York Times, you know, death toll climbs past 10,000, as 3,000 more deaths are added to the, to the toll. But it was it was 3,000 or 3,700 presumed uh, uh, COVID deaths. So they, they never they never tested them. You know, so they so they couldn't know for sure. And then Andrew Cuomo is is leaked on audio on a leaked phone call with these these Jewish leaders, rabbis, and he's saying, you know, these are fear driven policies. These are you know they're not nuanced, and so they're using these numbers, which may or may not be inflated, to drive fear to justify the very injurious policies that they're that they're imposing. It's very. Again, you know, and people were t telling me about the, the 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 nursing home thing. It was like, oh, it's a it's just a right wing conspiracy. Then, of course, later on, Cuomo's own attorney general, you know, puts out this seventy five page report talking about you know there's a cover up going on for political reasons, and uh, you know, so uh, this sort of wall of of um, you know you, this impenetrable wall where you you, you couldn't you know get people to even open their minds on anything. I mean, I think there's just a lot. A lot that was happening and uh you know and people really thought like we're all in this together they, they've been uh brainwashed by it and anyone who opposes that um is you know is not on the right side of history and deserves to be excommunicated basically well on a basic level um some information that i kept one of the basic things i was sharing with people was what they are using first of all they never isolated the virus so what they were showing us on tv was this computer generated thing and then the test that they allegedly were using to say if you are positive or not is not a test. PCR polymerase uh, chain reaction, it's not an actual test. And the creator of it, Carrie Mullis, won the Nobel Prize for it, said you cannot, this cannot tell you whether you're sick or yeah. not. So on a basic level, even if there is something out there, the fact that this thing that they're using to, to diagnose people, people who are seemingly healthy, and then, oh, you tested positive, if it's not a test already, that should blow it out of the water because when they're they're releasing these numbers, oh, all these people tested positive for what? Um, a, a year afterwards, I think the Times was it they revealed that oh, a lot of well, this is what they said: a lot of the tests, the positive tests, were false positives. When in reality, it's just be like they're, they're not tests, throw them out. 
And even the CDC said um, that at some point they had said that this is not a definitive test and shouldn't be used anymore, but it's still being used. There's all this stuff that doesn't make yeah. sense that's been going on. Yeah. And when you when you present this to people, like a friend of mine early on, um, very linear, she's got a lot of doctors in her family, but I do too. And she's, you know, she's one of those people that will do flu shots 10 times a year and still get sick. Um, but she sent me an article about, um, oh, this doctor at uh, John Hopkins. And I was one of the people, by the way, who's out there in the beginning protesting with the healthcare workers because they were they were trying to lay them off or, or threaten them. Either you get injected or you or you can't work. So I was out there in the streets protesting for them to have their rights because A, you shouldn't be forcing anyone. It's a violation of the Nuremberg Code because this is untested, can't use use coercion for some medical experiment. But on top of that, shouldn't people be wondering if this is safe and effective, how come the healthcare workers don't want to take it? How come the military people were didn't want to take it? So that should be a red flag anyway, but it wasn't. People were just like, oh, you're right. You're a Trump supporter. And like you said, they turned it into a political thing. Bodily yeah. autonomy is somehow political. Makes no sense. So um, on a basic level with it, when, there's, when they're using the test to diagnose people, she sent me an article and the author of the article, who was a doctor at one of the hospitals in New York, he started talking about PCR tests. And I said, you know what? I said, All right. And I read the whole thing. I said, already this has no credibility because he is relying on this thing that he knows if he's really a doctor, I mean, and I question this because a lot of these doctors, a lot of them, it's, it has turned out they are completely indoctrinated and they don't do any research on their own. They just do what they're told. So he may or may not have known, done this on purpose, but if he's basing it on this, it's not a test. So already everything he's saying, it's like a house of cards. You can't, if that's the foundation of your standing and then you're building from there, everything falls apart. And people just don't, I think people, once they get a belief in their head, it's very hard for them, especially if the majority of people around them believe it or are saying it, or you're watching TV over and over and over again. And the person in the white lab coat is saying it. And the pundit on TV who's reading the teleprompter is saying it. And, and, the, and the president is saying it. You think to yourself, well, if everybody's saying it, because they, they can't yeah. all be liars, they must be true. When in reality, no, they're liars or they're incompetent or they're inept or they're complicit or they're paid. There's, there's something going on but they were incorrect. And the fact that they do a 180 and act like they act like they were saying the same thing all along is, is ridiculous. And people have forgotten. So now they, now the CDC does a 180 last August, last year, they said, okay, well, now we're saying that it doesn't stop infection or transmission, which is something that I read from the beginning, from the manufacturers yeah. were saying this, but the media was saying something else. So even when I was pointing this out, I said, but you can see, go to their website, go, you can read it. Pfizer had to, was forced to release, release eight pages of side effects, 1,200 side effects plus, one of them being death from taking this safe and effective product. So when you have all this, Bell's palsy, strokes, myocarditis, pericarditis, all these things, and then when these things are coming out, they're labeling it SADS, and you're not acknowledging, but these people have admitted that this is something that's a side effect. And now we're seeing it, but now you refuse to connect it with it's pretty crazy to me. I mean, the level of denial and the level of propagandizing that's happened and the absolute devotion, um, the, the cult devotion to it. I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, I understand people when they invest in something, it's really hard for them to realize, oh, my God, I've been fooled. Or I've been tricked or a waste of energy and time or now my safety is it. But why continue on the same path? You still have a chance to turn around. Do you drink coffee or tea? 
Of course you do, and that's why I want to tell you about my sponsor, Twin Engine Coffee. Twin Engine Coffee grows and roasts specialty-grade coffees right on the farms in Central America. If you don't drink coffee, try Katura Tea, my personal favorite, made from the dried fruit of the coffee plant. Pro tip, add some ginger, lemon, honey, and a dash of cayenne powder, and you'll have the perfect, sexy, soothing concoction. Support small business and this podcast and order from TwinEngineCoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. Again, that is TwinEngineCoffee.com slash Clifton Duncan. Well, I mean, especially especially right now, I mean, you see people that are persisting, uh, persisting on. And uh, it's for, for me, I, <clears throat> I, mean, I do have a certain level of compassion because, you know, I was one of those people. But at, at a certain point, you just have to look around you and say, you know, it, it, it just it hasn't worked. Nothing you've done um, is working. And so switching gears a little bit. Um, so so when when the mandates came down, I mean, I'm sure your views made you very popular amongst your actor friends and your, your entertainment friends, uh, you know, already. But what, what was your reaction when they when they passed uh, the mandates down? Well, well. Um, equity did it first, and I was shocked because I, I was sure. For, I don't know why. I was just sure that okay, they're, they're, this is this is going to go away. People are going to wake up. So when Equity did it to the theater actors, I was shocked, and I contacted an actress friend that I, a woman that I know who is um, does a lot. Of, she does TV film, but does a lot of theater. I said, Have you heard that they are actually mandating that you know everybody in Equity, if they want to work, they have to. And she said, oh, that sounds like some sort of violation. I said, yeah, it does, doesn't it? So I was concerned. I said, if that's happening, because um, it was happening with the healthcare workers, they were fighting it, but it was still, it seemed like most hospitals and stuff were pushing it through. So I contacted a lawyer friend of mine, who's a former actor, actually, we know each other. He's one of my oldest friends. And I and I said to him, you know, Equity just did this thing, you know, and I'm wondering if SAG is going to do it, it, it. Can they do this? And he, he thought, he says, well, I guess, yeah, they can if the employer is, but it's not, we're not, it doesn't sound right to me. Like, I think there's a lot of confusion about what the law was and what it wasn't. So when they did, the last job I had booked um, uh, just before they put the mandates through, I booked it and ironically, it was um, a comedy web series for the uh, uh, produced by the CDC, but it was around women's gynecological health. And mm. it was with Amber Ruffin. It was this funny bit and I played this doctor and he's in a few episodes. Um, but they wanted to put a chyron at the end that said something like, all the actors in this this production were vaccinated. And so my agent had contacted me, so asked me about, oh, you're you're um you're vaccinated. Yes. And I said, no, is that a problem? Because I thought, well, am I gonna lose the job now? And she said, oh, no, not a problem. But I thought it was funny that A, she assumed that I was, but B, mm-hmm. I thought it was weird because this series wasn't even about COVID-19. So why are they even in, in every effort trying to inject that into every aspect of so after that happened then that's when the mandates went through and um but they the way they set it up it was a return to work agreement this contract where it was set up that supposedly the screen actors guild left it up to the producers to decide so if you have a certain production and you decide well i don't want to enforce these mandates supposedly you have the you, you can decide how you run your production however what i was finding out from um, another actor who knew, who worked with a bunch of different producers who were doing union and non-union work. One of them said, look, you know, I went non-union on this job because I didn't want to impose these mandates, but I kept getting, having problems with SAG green, greenlighting my production. So in essence, they're strong arming them to behave in a certain way, but saying, oh, it's up to them. So when these mandates went through, 
you would, I would I was still had the manager at the time was sending me out for TV film work, and you would get these auditions where it would say must be fully vaccinated and at, at some point must be boosted. Uh, Moderna, J, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, J and J, um, and if you weren't, you wouldn't be considered. And, and this was actually illegal; it's discriminatory. So I I would look at that and think, well, they're already putting it out there that they're not going to hire you. Um, they're not allowed to ask your medical status. Um, but then some of the auditions were saying, well, doing your slate, state your name, city, and uh, whether you've been vaccinated or not. And it was so dehumanizing because I felt like I don't want to buy into this. So um, one of them, I just didn't say anything. I did a normal slate, left it out, which I'm sure they'd be like, oh, discard. She probably isn't. We're not going to consider her. Another one, I said I was fully immunized, which is true. Um probably they saw through that and then other ones i just said no i'm not um and of course probably chucked out of that so they were finding ways to discriminate even though they were trying to act like oh we'll make accommodations because supposedly they would make accommodations for religious or medical exemptions i, I never heard of anybody getting an exemption i've not heard they, of one person who got I one i never heard i never heard of anybody um yeah. getting one and then even uh, as the as this went on my manager um when when we would be getting stuff and it was to say absolutely it must be back i said are they allowing accommodations oh no like so so basically eventually she dropped me but i felt like you're creating an environment where no one's given it there is no choice like you're not giving accommodations and there are people literally who literally have have had bad reactions have been injured by previous vaccines even though this wasn't a vaccine it's an experiment that has no long-term clinical trial data so you don't know how people are going to react to it so i think it's funny that you can go to a restaurant and people ask you about you know is, is there i have a peanut allergy i can't eat this but you're supposed to inject something and not ask, not know what's in it, mm -hmm. not know what the side effects might be. Um, if you do go, people who who did go do it, if they were to ask for a pamphlet, apparently they were blank things. So they didn't list anything, any of the, the warnings, any of the side effects, any of the what was in it. So you're just injecting yourself with this thing that has, that has not been tested and coronavirus that uh, research that they tested on ferrets, that all the ferrets died. I mean, there was nothing you know, that made any sense. So eventually when it came out that these things did not stop infection or transmission, which we knew, which I knew, a lot of people knew from the beginning, um, when I was talking to the New York local president last summer, because they had enough, the, the, the mandates in last September, they were going to do another meeting to decide whether to extend them or drop them. So when I spoke with him, I said, you know, I had a conversation with him. I said, well, what do you think the, where is the boat leaning towards? And just to get his feedback. And he seemed to be, you know, coming from a, a place where he assumed that I was all for it. So mm. I said, well, actually, I haven't been able to work in the last year and a half. And, you know, um, I, you know, own my own place and my money's dwindling and I have a mortgage I'm depending on my own. And I've really been locked out of work. I've lost relationships and, you know, that I've been building and I lost my manager, you know, and he was, he was sympathetic, but um, it seemed like they were leaning towards pushing, you know, renewing the mandates. And I said, well, it doesn't make any sense because at this point the cdc you know they it, it's it doesn't stop transmission or infection so why would we be extending this and then his comment was well you know we want to protect people and said i said but if it doesn't stop infection and transmission how is mandating this protecting anybody because everybody's the same if it's not doing anything and i asked three times and there was never really an answer for me then i realized okay you're just programmed just to push an agenda and sure enough in september they renewed them and that was another chunk of time where we couldn't work. Yeah. And they re and then in May, they finally were forced to 
I guess under pr probably social pressure, societal pressure to lift the mandates. But the trick is that every production that existed before May 12th, when they repeal the mandates, they've been grandfathered in. So those productions can still have mandates. So I saw a 35 page production list of all these shows that are still pushing mandates. And most of them, I would say 95% of them still say mandatory code vaccine required booster, all this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so, so this actually gets, you know, into, you know, a big part of the, the reason I wanted to talk to you, you know, because, you know, I, I had, you know, I had uh, a colleague who sent me, you know, for her part, she was, you know, she was sending me emails that she was going, you know, back and forth with from union representatives, uh, both in, in equity and in, and in SAG. And for people, you know, it was very strange. I don't know if you remember this, but back, you know, back in 2020, March, April, whatever, the, the union actors equity was sending out these, they sent out this one survey in particular that, um, or a questionnaire. And um, it, it, it was really, the, it was such a skewed, obviously skewed questionnaire where they were, they were leaving no room. Do you remember getting this thing? Yes. Where they, they left no room whatsoever for, for anyone to say, well, actually, you know, I don't want to take, what if you don't want to take this and you still want to mm -hmm. work? Like there was never any doubt. Like, like they, they never gave anyone else the option. And right. I, you know, I had friends who would, who would attend their webinars or town halls or whatever. They never listened to anybody. Um, you know, and then on, on the other hand, you know, I'd get these emails, these, these leaked emails, uh, you know, exchanges, and these people would always pass the buck to the CDC. And, um, you know, but they would ignore whatever the CDC said when they said, you know, don't wear masks or they would. But yes. then when that when that ruling came out a year ago, that said there's no there's mm -hmm. no point in distinguishing between, uh, you know, vaxxed and unvaxxed. And yet the industry still held yes. on to these mandates a year after that, mm -hmm. even though they've been using the CDC as sort of like their 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 yes. you know, like, oh, well, they said this. Right. And so. At that point, and I, and I, a long time before that, I'd stopped. I said, these people are not being logical. You know, there's, there, you know, and you can say brainwashing or whatever that there's, there's, there's that. But at a certain point, um, you know, when it became clear that these shots did not stop um, people from getting the disease, um, when it became, when, you know, no one seemed to ask like why, because I was like, dude, I'll pay a hundred bucks for a, you know, a T cell test. So, so you can say that I, you know, that, you know, I have my immunity or whatever. Um, that, you know, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll spend my own money on doing that. But that was that, you know, was never even an option. And so now they're holding on to these things. And I, I think the only reason that um, that Hollywood dropped these uh, these mandates is because the uh, the Biden administration finally ended the national emergency. So then it became safe to to ostensibly say, you know, we're moving on. But as you say, you know, there, there's still easy ways to, and I think they're still just going to plan on blacklisting people who didn't, who didn't uh, get it uh, anyway. But the same oh, well, thing with, I'm almost done, I'm almost done. Yeah, so exactly. The one last thing is this, uh, is with, with uh, Equity, Broadway, like, like just maybe a month ago, maybe, like two months after Hollywood finally said, okay, you don't have to, you know, get this thing to work. Now, finally, Broadway said this. So, so my question for saying all of that, for you, you mentioned the unions, and I said, there's no logical reason for this stuff to be going on for this long. So I really began to, I'm so cynical now that I said, is there some kind of corruption going on? Is there some, is there something that, that we're not being told? So that, that, so that, so that's my question. Like, what, what have you, like, what have you learned about, about the unions and, and, uh, you know, is there anything going on there that's, that's untoward, do you think? And that, that's my main question, but you were going to say something that, and I, and I sort of steamrolled over you. Sorry about that. Go for it. Oh, right. You said something and I was, <laughs> was going to 
uh, piggyback something that you said. Um, well, I was talking about how, you know, they, my, my bad, I'm sorry, because I had okay. to get it out, but because, because uh, the, the broader point was just like, you know, why are they holding on to these things? Oh, yes, I was going to say, okay, so right. yes, I, that's, I agree with you totally. And that was what I was saying. I was saying, if all along they're following the CDC's um, guidance, why is it that you're only following the CDC for 2020, but then when there's new information, you're still holding on to the mask and you're still holding on to pushing the mandates didn't make any sense and then at one point um you know a lot a lot of us were the awake you know the, the awake sag members who were fighting this we were reaching out to sag saying can you please provide us with peer-reviewed studies response every time we do not have that information so who are these docs so when i spoke to the new york um local president I asked him, I said, well, who are the doctors you're consulting with? He said, oh, he get back to me. He sends me, I thought there'd be a list of people. There were two doctors. One was a um, uh, pediatrician. And these are the two people that they were consulting that was driving these mandates. On top of that, Dr. Peter McCullough offered to talk to the SAG um, member uh, board and Fran Drescher refused, didn't want to talk to him. So they, there's clearly an agenda. There's clearly something going on where they were incentivized to push this. And what I've been finding out about the Screen Actors Guild um, in general, there's been years and years of corruption going on. Um, we just had, hmm. uh, in the past year, there's been um, uh, Chuck Slavin, who's in um, Boston, who's running for New England local um, presidency. He basically spearheaded a whole um, Zoom group. We all would talk and share information. A bunch of us from around the country who were all locked out of work all experiencing the same thing, all finding out the same information on our own, researching and, you know, realizing what's happened. This is, doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. And um, we all were petitioning, saying to get information. They would never give us information. Um, then on top of that, uh, we were told that, um, you know, like I said, they wouldn't talk to Dr. Peter McCullough. And then recently we had a meeting and we're going through, we're, we found out that SAG is paying, uh, we're members were paying SAG employee salaries $50 million a year in salaries. Then there's a list of breaking down of like, we, we were on the phone for an hour and a half with Peter Antico, who's running for secretary treasurer, going through everything. And he's somebody that's been very immersed in trying to fight the corruption there. Like our chief negotiator and national executive, executive director, um, Duncan Crabtree, Ireland, he actually was the one that got the um, seniors kicked off their healthcare during the pandemic. Um, because of his policies where basically their syndicated residuals didn't count anymore. So wait, say that again. Yeah. So you said Duncan Crabtree. Yeah. Duncan Crabtree, Ireland. He was the architect behind the seniors getting kicked off their health insurance during the pandemic because there were 8,200 seniors basically lost their health care. They're making their health care uh, eligibility through syndicated, like old TV shows that were getting residuals that all of a sudden, okay, that doesn't count anymore. So of course, all these people who aren't working anymore, our elderly, some of them have retired. They were relying on those old shows. Now they didn't they didn't qualify for health insurance. So there was about eighty two hundred that were that lost their health insurance. So Pete Antico. So I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because this is so extraordinary to me. Yes. Yeah, so is. you're saying that during that during what they were calling the deadliest pandemic in a century, there this person is, is respond is overseeing this policy which kicks, um, which kicks older actors out of their health insurance. Yeah. That's, and, okay. and, and people, the thing about it is people not, he did that. And then there's basically there are these two political groups um, in within SAG that they supported it by um, voting up his um, contract for another four years with a pay increase. The guy gets a million dollars a year. 
So that's questionable. So when I said to you, um, the salaries, the 50 million a year in salaries, he's the highest paid. But then we went through a list of all these other, we, there needs to be an investigation because some of these jobs, like $265,000, there's uh, $300,000 for ridiculous salaries for for people that are not qualified for those positions or the positions don't warrant these exorbitant salaries. So well, who, like, like what's an example of someone who's not, who's getting money, who's not qualified? Well, the there's, well, I mean, there's, it's like a broad question, but you know, well, there's a Rebecca Damon, apparently uh, she's somebody that they said before she was getting her six figure salary, she was doing the same job for like volunteer, like on a volunteer basis. So now she's getting this huge salary. So my question is the people that are getting these exorbitant salaries and the people that are getting nothing. So it, it, it's, it, it kind of doesn't make sense. I mean, and my question is again, oh, so I meant to tell, so I was saying that Duncan Crabtree Ireland was behind getting the, the, the seniors kicked off their, their, um, their healthcare and he was sued. So Pete Antico, who's, like I said, he's, He's a, a veteran stuntman, but he's a finance guy. He's been very involved in the union trying to root out this corruption for years. And he's running for secretary treasurer. He spearheaded a lawsuit with um, Ed Asner, who passed away uh, a couple of years ago. Mm. Um, and they won the lawsuit, $20.6 really? million. And I said to him, I said, but if you guys have won the lawsuit and he was found guilty of dereliction of his fiduciary duties, how does Duncan Crabtree Ireland still have his position? Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like these people that are there who are completely filling, I mean, they're, they are destroying the unit. They're, they're filling their coffers and they're doing unscrupulous things. Um, and apparently people were saying, Frank Drescher was saying that the lawsuit was frivolous and that it's a waste of members money. I'm like, how can you say that? So every, I mean, like I said, I was raised to respect my elders, traditional values. I can't imagine anybody that I think it was a good idea to kick seniors, you know, the most vulnerable people off their healthcare. So that's one of the things when I was, I've been going to SAG meetings for years now, was never totally involved like I am at this level, not a political person in that way. But as the years went by, I was seeing more and more things that needed to be fixed. And I would go, and I come from a background where, like I said, I used to work in advertising and there was a thing happening where there's a lot of non-union work. I'd go to the meetings and I would say, well, I know what's happening on the advertising end. What's happening is that you have senior people, veteran people who are being fired because they don't want to pay their salaries. And they're, they're, they're promoting younger people who have no mentorship and they don't know how to deal with unions. They don't, they don't want to do it. So there's a lot, they're doing things to cut corners and make things easier. And they're not fighting for, as I said, and I was coming up with solutions and ideas of how we could get involved as SAG members, hire a rep, get them in there, train them. I never, no one would ever listen. And I remember I was talking to the president of my commercial agency and he was complaining to me too. He said he would always be giving SAG suggestions, never listen to. So it seems to me like they don't want to make things better. They want to keep things the same. They want certain people to be enriched. They want other people to be in the dark. And what I'm finding is that the more information I find out and I share it with other members, because whether you vote for me or not, is not the issue. The issue is we need to get these people out of there. So if not me, find somebody else who's got my mentality, who wants to do something good and change the union and make it more about the members. It used to be a members run union. Now it's run by bureaucrats. And on top of that, this whole strike situation, before they went into negotiations, we never received a pattern of demands. So we didn't know what they were going in and saying, but then they released a video with Fran Drescher and um, 
Duncan Crabtree Ireland saying, we're fighting for you, but we can't tell you what we're discussing. It's very confidential. So hmm. there's no transparency. And then after that, when the, when they decided, when we authorized the strike, and then she supposedly was bragging about how she went in there and wagged her finger at Bob Iger and told him, you make $78,000 a day, how dare you? And I stormed out. And basically it was it was like, I flipped the table and I walked out of there. And, and, and I'm watching this video and I'm thinking, and this is a good thing. So we have no deal. We're on strike. And now you're recently saying we're we're prepared to strike for six months. What's this we? It's you. It's us. It's going to be yeah. doing. But then they're giving waivers to these these um, celebrities and big budget. I mean, it, well, you know, it, I was I was so, you know, and it's funny because I was going to ask your opinion about the strikes and everything and, you know, going on right now. And, you know, I have to say um, I, I just I have to say that it is kind of rich to see, uh, especially these actors right now, but but pretty much everybody who they're expecting now the public to be on their side after the past few years. And, um, you know, now they're worried about their livelihoods. They're worried about their careers. They're worried about getting their fair share. Um, and yet they were the most authoritarian, um, discriminatory people. Um, so, so there, so there's that, but, you know, I, I can't, you know, get into details about it, but, you know, I did a project recently where, you know, the, the strikes interfered with our ability, but, you know, there, there was another project that was shooting in the area and, you know, in which Rebel Wilson was involved. Um, and uh, it's like a $40 million movie. And she got to keep, uh, she got to keep shooting. And, you know, I mean, we had our authorization, our, our authorization, and we could, you know, keep doing our thing eventually. But it was like, okay, so these indie movies, a $40 million indie movie. <laughs> So there, there's, and it's it's the same thing for me as the mandates. It was like, you know, okay, are you are you telling me that um, if, I don't know, if um, Denzel Washington doesn't want to get uh, the shot, he's not going to be allowed to work. Really, people are going to pass him. You know, maybe Ice Cube is one thing, okay, but you know, the, the, there's clearly some kind of hierarchy going on, and it just yeah. it, again, it just it just. Stuff just, just didn't make sense. And I find all this stuff to be so explosive because that's why I was like, you know, there's, it's so weird that there has to be some kind of corruption going on. There oh, yeah. has to be. Well, there's also, I mean, there were always people who, like you said, people like higher up who can avoid this. They can get fake cards or they can get a doctor's note that says something or they are just granted an exemption and the rest of us aren't. We're just, we're just supposed to either comply or suffer the consequences. And my feeling is that if you're really representing all members, you're representing all members. Mm. You don't put you don't you don't put something in place with no scientific, um, you know, backing behind it, and then you continue to impose a mandate that when everything else is opening up, you have members petitioning you for information, and you clearly don't have the information, and you're clearly pushing one one narrative, one side of things, and um, it just shows that it's very partisan, and. Again, there is some there is a level of corruption that is beyond belief. There's you know there's something that happened many years ago where two million dollars from our pension fund was um, embezzled, and the person that embezzled Sorry, what? Uh, two million dollars from our pension fund that was embezzled, and the person that's embezzled the money, they had a a closed door like meeting again another with like no transparency, and the person no longer is at SAG but didn't go to jail. They paid a, a, some sort of tax evasion fine on the money they stole. So, so that makes me think, okay, why would there be a closed door deal on something that's robbed the pension fund? Unless there's somebody else or people, a ring of people involved that are still there. So 
And again, it's all happening under the same people who were there. Like, I just, we need to get, we need, this is what I would love. If I become New York local president, um, I want to reinstate, obviously, the residual eligibility that specifically affects elders for the health insurance. Um, we need somebody, uh, we need a savvy person who knows how to deal with contracts and negotiation, who can forecast future trends in technology, in streaming, in, um, you know, finance. We, we have Julie Fisher, who's our secretary treasurer. She doesn't come from a finance background. It's like me running for that role and having no finance. I mean, I would be horrible. And apparently she's lost the union millions of dollars because she's not qualified to be in that position. So this is why I feel like I'm praying that Pete Antico, if anything, he at least gets the position because he really knows stuff about the contracts. He released a six part series, breaking it down for people to understand what's been going on over the years, why we are where we are right now with the strike and why we're in a horrible negotiating scenario. Because right now, you know, like I said, Fran walked out of the negotiation and is bragging about how she told this guy off. Okay, but what's the end game? When are we, what now what? We're going to strike for six months and then what? Go back with our tail between our legs and pray they give us something. In the meantime, everybody's replaced by AI. I mean, it's pretty insane. Right. So yeah. there needs, I would like to do an audit with every, there's 532 employees at SAG. Find out everybody's role and their crazy salaries and if they're justified. If they can't explain their role and what they're con con contributing, get rid of them. I found out another story, which I really, I don't want to name names because it's going to come out, but I feel like I don't want to get sued or anything, but basically a person very high up who's getting paid a very large salary. I found out that this person hired what looks to be somebody they met on vacation, brought them back to the country, gave them a job, a $75,000 a year job in SAG working in a particular department. So so a passport bro <laughs> went went overseas and got him a little yes a little, a little pretty young thing basically yes is that is that what we're getting at a handsome young thing and um I mean same thing yeah <laughs> brought them here and got, gave them a job seventy five thousand dollar year job now who knows maybe this person in that country has the experience maybe they are qualified it seems highly suspicious though that you go on vacation or whatever and you meet some random person and then you bring them back and now you they have a job so stuff like that that i'm finding out is mind-blowing and the thing about it is that if i know about it i'm sure a bunch of people and this is what makes me think okay if this is going out going on out in the open there must be people around that are incentivized to keep their mouths shut and this would explain the overblown salaries and the 50 million dollars a year going towards salaries which is crazy so and again, I, I, as I'm finding out things, I, I, I've been sharing things. I've been DM, DMing people. I've been posting stuff on social media. But what I, what my concern is about New York is people, there's a Stockholm syndrome that's going on, I think, with people. And one person that I know who said that they were going to support me, but then they said, well, I'm concerned about changing leadership in the middle of a strike. And I said, but this leadership is one that got us into this mess in the first place. It's been going on for years. If you vote for these same people again, it's not going to change. It's going to get worse to the point that we have no union. So you have to, people have to be brave and take a chance and realize what we have been doing all along has not been working. And we have to get people that don't have an, don't have an agenda, that aren't 
um, a part of cronyism that aren't being incentivized by maybe governmental officials, because you know that whole FOIA release came out where the Biden administration was incentivized, incentivizing agents, managers to push these, these jabs. I didn't see that. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff that's, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I just try to keep things well-rounded, but sometimes I get to a point where I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm vomiting all this stuff because my mind is just overwhelmed with all these different things that I'm learning, not only just about our union, but in general about this whole COVID mandate thing that's, yeah. that's, that's going well, it's, on. You know, and, uh, I did a podcast with a woman who I'm sure you're aware of, it's Pamela Everett Goodman, um, some time ago. And, and A, this goes back into how no one could get exemptions that we know of. I mean, her daughter was injured by a childhood uh, vaccine, so, she's so, so her daughter is blind in one, in, I think, her right eye and still couldn't get an exemption. So she's working on a farm somewhere, you know, living her life. And her, her eldest son or stepson um, died within 12 hours of getting a J&J. &J. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, well, because he's working on Colbert and Lion King, and um, apparently they wouldn't even let his father, who also worked on Lion King, they wouldn't, and who also opted not to get the, the shot. They they just they wouldn't even let his father get back into the theater to get his things. So they they put his stuff in a box, and, you know, left it outside the stage door, um, and wouldn't let him in the building to get his to get his son's things from his locker. That's horrible. So all kinds of stuff was going on, and um, you know, and I, I you 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 said Stockholm syndrome. I mean, I wonder if. I mean, I'm curious. I mean, what, there's so much I want to say because I think on, on one hand, I've been really annoyed. Aside from the disappointment of seeing how people just fell in line and complied. I mean, obviously, I do have some compassion because just the, the propaganda was relentless. You yeah. couldn't get away from it. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said before, how would any of these, you know, if everyone's telling me this, you know, they can't possibly be lying They're, You know, they have to be saying the, the truth. But you know, so it's forgivable on one hand, but the, the level and the extent and the intensity of the cruelty and just, you know, people, they, they became so proud of themselves. And, and a side note as well, you know, this is a supposedly anti-racist industry, but of I can think of 10 actors right now that have been affected negatively by this stuff. All of them are black. Every single one of them is, is black. And uh, it's just, it's, it's in, insane to me. Um, but it, it, it just seems like such a big, such a big, I don't know, iceberg or something that, that, that we're seeing now. And it's like, it just seems like at, in, in every level of our society, there's some kind of corruption or, or grift or, or maybe graft yeah. is another word for it, uh, uh, bribery. And so I think maybe part of it is Stockholm syndrome. Part of it is just fear a of of coming to terms with how you've behaved and how you've treated people over the past few years or fear of coming to terms with the fact that you knew everything that, that was going on was bullshit but you didn't say anything and you watched everyone else take the arrows get thrown under the bus and so you now you have to live with that for the rest of your life on your conscience or whatever even though you could have said something but then there's also this fear of um of well if these people are lying and if everything I've been doing is wrong, and if everything that I thought I understood up to this point is nonsense, then you know once once that once you see that thread, you begin to pull on it. Then what else is gonna what else is gonna that, happen? So I think yeah. that that might be part of it. The people just they don't want to consider things might be as messed up as they as they really are. <laughs> well, we, the worlds would shatter, and and I think that what people have to realize is that 
if you really think about it, most of the stuff we've probably been told from the beginning of our existence from childhood onward have mainly been lies. And when you start to think about that, there have been so many lies told, it's hard to wrap your head around it. But I, I always say that if we tap into our higher selves, we know everything we need to know. So even be, even beyond you know being told one thing and believing it, you have your intuition for a reason. I think a lot of people went against their intuition. I know people that did take the jab that didn't want to. They knew that there's something nefarious, but they bought into the fear or the pressure or they've got families or they got mortgages or whatever they had going on. But you have your higher self. For, it's there for a reason. Your intuition is never wrong. And every time um, I think that I've gone against my intuition, not that I'm always punished, but I'm slapped in the face like, ah, if only I had listened, right? And I'm hearing that from people who have done it, where they, they feel like, you know, one person I know who did it was saying, you know, I did it, but then things in my job changed anyway, so I didn't have to do it, but now I regret. So there's there's a lot of that going on. And I think that there's a level of MK Ultra. there's mind control going on, there's propagandizing, which is in essence mind control. But there's, when I said Stockholm Syndrome, I was more referring to um, specifically that idea about the SAG corrupt leaders I know they might be corrupt, but I'm afraid to find out because if I have to maybe get somebody else and it's, it seems seem okay and they seem nice, like you have to let go of that and realize this is not working. There's something wrong, something nefarious, there's something illogical with what they're doing. And you have to be brave enough to step into the unknown and be and, and look for truth and not for comfort. And most people will go for comfort over truth because right. they don't want to feel any pain. And I'm just, I'm, I'm going, I've gone through the pain and I'm continuing to go through the pain, but I feel so much better that I did that than rather than to, and I know I just never could have complied, but like you were saying about those people, I did tell people, I told friends and family and some of them didn't even look at stuff. So my thing is, even those people that kept silent, maybe even if they said something, people would not listen to them anyway or think they're crazy or call them conspiracy theorists. I was labeled or I was insinuated by one of my oldest friends that somehow I'm like, some sort of white supremacist Trump supporter or anti-Semitic. I mean, it just, oh, and you can see, yeah. you can see, you can see the programming. You see look the at programming. It, yeah. You're like, why is this, like you said earlier, why is this political? I don't want this in my body. Why does it make me a, a Republican or what is it? Or what, why is it, why am I being labeled with a political party when I'm talking about something that has nothing to do with politics at all? And it doesn't make any sense. And what's interesting to me also, other conversations I've had with people where they'll agree with a lot of things of like, say, like I said, there's a whole independent group of us running for candidacy. There's, I'm in New York running for a New York local president, three delegate seats. There's Terrence um, Glenn Thomas is running for VP. Newby is running for delegate. There's Pete Antico is running for secretary treasurer. Maya Gilbert Dunbar, who's running for president, who's a very strong candidate. Um, and, you know, you might not agree with everything that all of us have to say. Day, but but at the core we want to make the union a better place and and make it safe and um and um and have prosperity for everybody and our best interests at heart but what i find people doing is well okay i agree with a b and c but i don't like her stance on the mandates and i i took the jab and i it's not about that it's about bodily autonomy so that was your choice but i should have a choice too and i shouldn't be punished for my choice that's all we're saying we're not judging you or telling you what to do, but you know there was no informed consent. So you, mm -hmm. who did it, should be angry. 
that you there was no informed consent. You were coerced, you were bullied, you were fear-mongered. There's no informed consent. And now you have a lot of people that are being coming out with injuries. I know people personally, not only have been injured, a friend of mine, she's had four family members within like a few months of take cancers returning, heart attacks, all this stuff happening. And she's the one awake person in her family. And nobody listened to her and look what happened. So I get it. Like, okay, you know, you did what you thought was right. You wanted to work. But now that the information is coming out, now that you see that this act is, is corrupt, now you see that there's money grabbing, now that you see our contracts are in the toilet for years, now that you see our chief negotiator is getting over a million dollars and secured another four year of his contract with incremental increases, and he has this whole sweet deal where when he leaves the position, the rest of his life, he gets $250,000 a year. I mean, for what? For what? Kicking elderly people off their, their plans? I mean... And that's just one of the things that I'm openly talking about. There's so many other things that are going on. So I just feel like we have to fight for change. We have to fight for improvement. We have to fight for for transparency and fair pay and treatment and respect and integrity back into the unit, or we will, we will have no union. So, well, I guess my, my last question for you, I know we can go on for hours and hours, you yeah, know, we uh, but uh you know, because I, I've been thinking about this a lot, you know, and I was working on that project, like I said before, and, and I was talking to people about this, um, you know, for, for years now, this is before all this stuff kind of went down, but I, I've been wondering, because, you know, when, when I was working um, on Broadway and, and we had like, you know, we had this favored nations contract and, it, and we were up for renewal because we'd been extended and um, I felt really hamstrung. I said, you know, well, what if, what if there's an actor out there? Um, and who actually is business savvy, who know, who understands negotiation and their value, and they say, you know, I don't want to be a part of this contract. So that that sort of began my thinking, I mean, and also just like just the bureaucratic and administrative um, inefficiency and 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 nonsense. And so I really began to think to myself, like, you know, are is this union? I'm talking about equity. Is this union doing more harm than good at this point? I mean, you know, it's. It's cool that it's there, and there's definitely some perks to to joining, obviously. Um, but at the same time, I wonder if if it's if um, if like if I mean if if you wanted to choose not to be a part of it, you know, why should that harm your career in any way? And you know, all these questions began to bubble up. And then with with the SAG after stuff and the mandates, I just said, okay, um, that's a whole other other thing. So I guess, but at the same time, now we. Excuse me. We have so much stuff going on where people are. We're in an era where there's an infinite variety of entertainment options now. So that so that actors and show people in general aren't. They don't have the same kind of priority position that they used to have because now we have TikTok and and YouTube and podcasts and video games and and live streamers and all these other things. And so I guess my my question that I'm leading up to is, even though all the stuff is going on and I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm saying that, you know, karma is kind of real and, and these things are kind of falling. I mean, look at, look at the theater right now that's falling apart right now. And um, people like you are out there exposing this corruption. But I just wonder if, I mean, will these unions even be that relevant in a few years when you have everyone is kind of making their own things now and it's becoming so much more decentralized? I mean, what, you know, do you think that it's even going to matter, you know, 10 years down the line? I mean, that's a valid question, and that's been very concerning because, um, you know, we used to have a strong union. It was created for members by, by you know, by members for members for the benefit of members. And now that it's been infiltrated by bureaucrats, yeah, you start to wonder, well, if we're not able to root out these people um, and, you know, turn around what they've, the mess they've created, what future does the union have? And 
with all the network that's out there, with all the, you know, things you can create. I mean, your show is a wonderful show. You're, you're doing that. You're a one man show. And I keep saying that you're amazing and you need to, <laughs> you need to really, uh, uh, you know, more people need to know about you and what you're doing. You're creating a great platform for people like me um, to speak and to share their thoughts and to also attract other people and inspire other people. So, and this is not a union show. So there are opportunities for people to create and, and do their own thing. I, I feel like what, what, may come out of this and that's if the independent people don't sweep and take over you know and get rid of these corrupt people there's going to be a parallel society there's going to be a break because like you pointed out earlier and like i've been saying as well this strike now all these people are all we're all out of work but there are people like you and i who have been locked out of work because of our medical choices for two and a half years and even and continue so it's all, there was already a split happening because those people were fine with us work, not working, didn't really care. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not saying they have to go and, you know, boycott on our behalf, but there was no unity there. Like, well, what about my brothers and sisters who can't work? You know, why is this person, why are they putting, like, for example, why are they putting that, that um, gentleman's Ted son's belongings outside the theater? Because he's not like, nobody's like, I feel like, Human nobody stands up for each other anymore. Everybody's, oh, I, I got to protect myself. I, I can't say anything. That might affect me. It's going to affect you one day, and now it is, because now we yeah. have a strike with these corrupt people. So there there may be a split off, like you said, 10, ten years from now, maybe not a traditional union, but there is going to be a unification of like-minded people, ethical people, who will work towards making um, things safe and creative and prosperous, because we still need to have that. We, we can't have a free-for-all where people want to pay you peanuts to do a job. Like, I feel like the union was good in that way where it, it developed some sort of standards. But yeah. what started happening with some of this non-union work, you have ethical people who are also doing non-union work. So they sometimes are paying better than some of the, let's say the new media low budget stag rates. Right, well, that's the thing now, because you know, you know we, we have all this equipment now, all this technology and people, you know, I mean, again, down here in Georgia, I mean, they're, they're building studios and they're doing all kinds of stuff and people are going online. I mean, you can watch movies and find tutorials on YouTube about, you know, shot composition and lighting and, and editing and thing. I mean, people, I, I, I just, that, that's, that's why I ask because it, it, it is nice that the union, that the union is there, but at the same time, I mean, I, I personally, I don't think that you can stop the flood of, I mean, I think we're going to, we're seeing like a, maybe a Renaissance emerging because people just are making their own stuff now. And the, all these gatekeepers and Hollywood and Broadway or whatever, I don't think they're going to matter as much because people are just going to, you know, I, I trust the, the creativity of an infinite variety of, of people more than this concentrated few who are allowed into or luck their way into this, this system and this system or this machine, this beast, as it were, you know, it, it used to be a big part of, you know, creating culture and, and influencing culture and they're, they're, they're taste makers. But now that's just not, it, it's the Joe Rogans now who are, who are the taste makers. You see people like Jordan Peterson coming out of, out of nowhere, making just the sort of meteoric rise, you know, whether or not you agree with what they're saying. Um, there's this whole other avenue now where people are getting their voice out there. They're getting their work out there. They're, they're being able to share. I mean, you know, you look at someone like a Mr. Beast and I'm like, that guy, if he wants, he can start making movies now. Um, you know, he could finance, he could open a studio, buy a studio, you know, or build one and just start his own production company. He, he could do that. He has that kind of money now. Um, and and draw know. an audience. And, exactly, yeah. exactly. So if I'm sitting there and I'm 
you know, I mean, I'm beyond that. So, you know, but if I'm some 18, 20 year old kid and I'm seeing what's happening, I don't give a shit about, you know, I mean, I love Chris Nolan, so I'm, I'm, I'm just using him as an example, but you know, it may be, maybe I'm seeing the possibilities now where it doesn't matter as much if I have, you know, Tom Cruise money or Chris Nolan money or, or Will Smith money or whatever to produce my films, I can build my own thing and crowdfund my own projects or whatever, mm -hmm. and not have to go, you know, and again, I'm, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm living up with my parents or whatever, watching videos and movies all day and on how to make movies, you know, and then you know, there's someone, there's some handsome actor making uh tutorials on on uh video tutorials on how to uh you know name clifton on how to act and how to talk to actors and you know you can learn how all this stuff so yeah. so I, I wonder i mean i think everything the, the landscape and then there's ai so the, the whole landscape is, is just changing mm -hmm. in so many ways so i and i don't i don't i i, I don't know so i maybe this, this is a really really long-winded way of saying that um you know, the chickens will come home to roost at some point, all this corruption, all of this, um, all of this uh, um, cruelty, all this evil is maybe going to come bite them in the ass anyway, because they, they are so arrogant and they've, they've gotten so drunk on their power and their corruption that they're not, they don't see this huge wave that they're sitting on it, like this, this, this creative explosion about to happen just because it's so decentralized now, it's more democratized now, and then they're not, they're not as in control anymore. I don't know. No, I totally agree with you. And I, a lot of the content I watch is online, you know, yeah. a lot of independent people creating great work and yeah. a lot of, and you know, you mentioned Jordan Peterson, you know, you have the whole, the daily wire, which now is a roster of different shows on there. That's its own entity. It's like its own channel, you know? So let's say for example, a group of people want to get you and Mr. Beast or whoever, like you, you, you guys form an entity and then you have these different shows that you, that you produce on there under that umbrella. I mean, it's an opportunity for people to collaborate and create under a different um a different model rather than like you said like this the old hollywood model you go there you sign a contract with the studios and then you're crying out some number of films or same as an actor you know it's it, there are a lot of different opportunities i i just my hope is that and again i i always want to be on purpose and i feel like you know when i'm doing good and fighting for something that or for people maybe the voiceless and inspiring other people and just you know that's just how i am um, I'm hoping that the independent groups can really get in there and turn the union around because it was a good union. It was born out of something, uh, out of the members wanting to create some sort of, you know, uh, collective that would keep us all safe and productive and prosper. And I still believe in that idea. Um, and I'm just hoping that we're able to get in there and get elected and make some changes. And, you know, beyond that, I also want to incorporate other workshops like for me, like I had to learn business, the business side of thing when I was working as an editor, because then I went freelance. So I, my hand is an artist, but I had to learn business side stuff. And a lot of people don't know how to do that. I would like to create yeah. workshops where actors can learn about deciphering contracts, finances that, you know, these are all things I think are beneficial just as much as like doing a voiceover lab or all these other things that they offer. I think these are core. I mean, I'm extending, I'm, I'm expanding my life skills. I'm I've, oh, I, like I said, as a kid, I was always learning new things. Like now I'm learning some bits of farming. I've gotten into crypto. I'm, I'm expanding and learning different things. And I think that's important, not just, you know, as, as a freelance artist, but as a human being to constantly be open and to be malleable to new ideas and ways of thinking and opportunities. And maybe this, this bit of learning I've learned here will, will inform some other aspect of my life or inform, you know, if I do a collective with a group of people and we're starting a business, maybe my knowledge of 
maybe crypto, maybe we'll start paying people in crypto. I mean, I know there's a lot of things that are happening that I think that like you pointed out earlier about if there's somebody who's an equity member, who's a finance person and doesn't agree with the contract, we need to have those people in those rooms. We need to have people that can understand what it is to be a performer, but also has other skills to bring to the table. And I feel like with, you know, this crop of people, we're all those things because we're not just performers. We have other life skills and experiences that we can bring to the table that makes it very special. So, you know, that's that's what I'm hoping to do. I, if people have another couple of weeks, it's the ballots are going are due the, September 8th. So I hope people will vote with their hearts, listen to their conscience and just don't just do what they've been doing all along just because they they've been doing it all along. You know, look at look at look at things and ask yourself. Is my life better? Do I feel better? Do we? Is our union stronger or is it falling apart? We're in a strike right now again. And we have people that are telling us we're going to do it for another six months and didn't release the pattern of demands before they went in to negotiate with the AMPTP. So it's a problem. There's a lot of issues that I think that, and I want to do open forums when they do these live talks and never really live, you know, they go on, you know, YouTube and, you know, you, you can't ask a question if you ask it, they never answer it. They, they have these scripted questions. There's a live just yesterday in IG, you know, with, with our national executive director, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, didn't really answer hard questions. One person I know out of my group asked, what about the seniors who kicked up healthcare? No response. So these people aren't held accountable. Like you said, there's an arrogance. They think they can get away with it, but people are waking up. So keep waking up and keep fighting the good fight and stay conscious and don't just stick with the status quo. I mean, it's, you have to be open to change and improvement. So. Well, as they say, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. My friends, her name is Namakula Mu. It's been such a pleasure uh, speaking with you today. And uh, how can people uh, find you and support you uh, and, uh, and more importantly, vote for you if they wish? Um, you can find me at namakula.com. I have a, uh, that's my website. And I have a link to a page where I talk about my, my SAG after um, candidacy. Um, also, all the independents, you can find them on unionmembernews.com. And if you want to support my candidacy, if you're a SAG member, please vote for me and all the independents in your cities. Or if you're not a SAG member, if you can just spread the word, share posts. I'm on, I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Namakula underscore, underscore Moo. And I'm on Twitter, but I'm on, not on there a lot, but Namakula7. Um, and just be positive and just, I don't know, pray. <laughs> 